Greetings, Game Cola faithful, and welcome to the Game Cola podcast. This is podcast number 68. Uh, with me today are Nathaniel Hoover, Catherine J., Joseph Martin, and Anna Bernarski. I gave everyone's full names because I just literally read it off of Skype. Anyway, every, everyone introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Nathaniel Hoover. I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, all over the website, and, and uh, recently I've been doing a lot for the Game Cola YouTube channel, doing a playthrough of the Game Boy Color version of Crystallis, and now the fan-made Mega Man My Little Pony crossover Mega Pony. This is Kate J. I do art on occasion for... Game Cola. I've done the Gates of Life in the past, and uh, yeah, I do odds and ends when I'm asked. I'm Joseph Martin. I sometimes do reviews, sometimes do fabricated news, and a lot of the time get on podcasts like this, including the fan fiction podcast that I've suddenly forgotten the name of. Hacks and Slash. That's what it is. Hi, I'm Anna Bernarski. I, I was on the podcast the last two times. And I did something this month for writing, so that's good. Yeah, I think you did a review. Yeah, I, I wrote something about 2DS. I oh yeah, that's right. So I like uh, I feel so bad because like Paul, if you ask Paul like who wrote a random article in like 2008, he'll be like, oh yeah, I know that, and I can't even remember what you wrote this month. Well, uh, that's okay. I can barely remember when I write anything. But, uh, if I've anything. No, you did definitely write about the 3DS, or the 2DS, sorry. You wrote about the 2DS. The 2DS. 2DS. My brother got a 2DS, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. He uh, he got it, like many people, Um, which was an amazingly in- uh, good move by Nintendo. He They released at the same time they released Pokemon X and Y, so tons of people, including my brother, just bought it so that they could play Pokemon. Yeah. A lot of people in gamers still bought them at the same time. I was just like, oh, well, I'm still not in the cool kids. I've had a I've had a chance to like hold it and stuff, and it certainly does not feel as awkward as it looks. <laughs> well, that's good. And they did they do put it the uh, stylus um, back on the side instead of in the back, which is like the the thing I disliked about the 3DS more than the low battery life is that they put the stylus in the back so I can't just slide it out easily while I'm playing a game. Because mm. with the DS and DS Lite and DSi, you know, you could, like, have your fingers on the buttons and pull out the stylus really easily, like with one of your fingers that was below it. I'm holding it right now <laughs> on my 3DS right now to describe it. We can but hear I it. I could, could use my middle finger to, like push it out, and then grab it real quick, and then go straight to that, which was convenient. And then they put it in the back, and they made it smaller, and I always feel compelled to pull it out, so everything has to come to a halt, like meticulously get out my tiny stylus. And so anyway, that's just a really roundabout way of saying that I get very peeved when I have to use effort to use a stylus. But you actually use the stylus? You don't actually just use your finger? Well, now I do. I used to always okay. use the stylus. Now I've lost the stylus and used my finger. But before that, yeah. I always used the stylus and kept, you know, I had like five for my DS because I would always lose them. But now the old ones don't fit in this because they have the little tiny slot. It's just really frustrating. You could hold the stylus in your mouth like a toothpick and then it's the access. <laughs> I did do that sometimes. <laughs> but I can't do that all the time because people look at you weird. (laughs) I forgot who it was. I mean, maybe it was Paul, but someone was saying uh, on Twitter 
about how they uh, miss the stylus now that they're using the Vita and it doesn't have a stylus. Like, they never really realized how nice it was to have something that, like, accurately pinpoints what you were pointing at. Your finger just gets in the way. You don't realize how fat your fingers are until you have to put them in front of a screen. Yeah. At least mine. I don't know about other... I can't speak for other people. I know that, like, certain mini-games, um, like, the, the, the... There's a mini-game in the Pokemon XY where um, you, uh, like, tap the Pokemon and they at correct time and they'll bounce balls of yarn up. It's very cute and adorable, I guess. <laughs> but um, I can't see anything because my finger is in front of it all. And with what? the stylus, I played it with the stylus and it was like super easy. Hmm. And I kept the game going for like half an hour. I kept the game going until like DS started running out of battery and then I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's Nintendo's way of telling you it's time to put down the system and go outside. <laughs> it didn't have a full charge when I started. But uh. <laughs> it was a significantly long time. I don't think it was 30 minutes. I think it was probably more like five, maybe. How many batteries does a DS take? I don't know, Jenny. How many batteries does a DS take? <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounded like a setup to something. <laughs> How many Game Call staff members does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> one to write it, one to edit I don't know. <laughs> But, but I mean, <laughs> does anyone have an answer? To to what the DS? Yeah, how many batteries does it have? Um, one. What? A, a rechargeable battery. Weird. You plug it into the wall like your phone. That's so weird. No, sorry. Like, uh, cause I was recently, I recently had my old Game Boy out, and like next to the old Game Boy was the slightly less old Game Boy, and the slightly less old Game Boy uh, only took two batteries, and I remember being like, dude. Are we living in the future? How is this possible that the that the like Game Boy Color can have colors and only two batteries? I know I've got my old brick four battery Game Boy. Yeah, I mean it hasn't. I haven't needed to replace those batteries in like years. <laughs> and I mean I don't play it as much as you know people probably played it when it was the only handheld system. But I mean yeah. I played Pokemon Blue on it for like over the course of a month and. It, I mean, it's still fine. I can just turn. I mean, I don't have it with me right now because I'm on vacation, and I don't bring my big Game Boy with me because it's a cinder block. <laughs> yeah. and it's not easy to pack. I remember uh, when they made the Game Boy Pocket or whatever, which was basically just like a thinner Game Boy, and it was still like you know, no one can really fit this in their pocket. <laughs> it's still a little big. I bet Nintendo I actually... Boy could. <laughs> I actually can fit the the big cinder block Game Boy into my jacket pockets because they're like gigantic. Yeah. And so that's really nice, but it would not fit in a pants pocket at all. Yeah. I think there was like a a promotional image of it being in like a back pants pocket, but it was like still sticking out, you know, which part of the idea was like you can tell what's in the pocket, but the other part is that it doesn't actually fit in your pocket. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. To, to go to the other extreme of that, did anyone ever hear of slash see the Game Boy Micro when it was a thing? Game Boy Micro? That yeah, confused the heck it. out of me. It it was a super tiny 
that's the Game Boy Advance one that I'm thinking. It's a right? it's a game. So there was the Game Boy Advance, and there was the Game Boy Advance SP, which is the cool one that has the flip top. That's probably yeah. that's the one I like, and that's the one I had growing up. And then they had and the then, Game Boy Micro, which is like the what the size of an original NES controller or thereabouts. I think even smaller. I think it was and, really small. So I mean, the the screen has a surprisingly good resolution. It's very sharp. You can actually see everything, but it's incredibly tiny, and it really is the true Game Boy Pocket. But why anyone really needed one of those is beyond me, because the uh, the Game Boy Advance SP is really perfect pocket size. And um, the DS, I think, had come out at that point. Either had come out, or it was like just on the verge, like the Game Boy Advance SP or, you know, just that whole genre was pretty much going out of style. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. didn't I remember it being a life. very strange timing for it, uh, for something that at no point ever seemed to have been relevant in the first place. I mean, I've only ever seen one. You could um, change the cover of it, though. Like, they came with a bunch of screen, plastic screen covers that you could pop on and off. Yeah, I'm looking at Google Images. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at, too. That is small. But yeah, I've like, heard I, ton- I, sorry. I've just heard tons of people say that, like, they didn't even think it was, a, like, a licensed thing. Like, they thought it was one of those, like, weird modded things that someone came up with and distributed. But, yeah. Game Boy Advance, man. It was quite the the adventure. Interesting. I never had a Game Boy Advance. Like, my, my most recent Game Boy is the Game Boy Color. I was very, I still am very impressed with the Game Boy Advance. I mean, I'm very much a retro gamer, but I do occasionally play newer games. But what I like about the GBA is that in in a, in a time when everything was in 3D and motion controls uh, were just on the horizon, Game Boy Advance was basically portable Super Nintendo. It just continued the kind of gameplay, the kind of graphics, just the the level of quality that you found on the Super Nintendo. And I I really liked that uh, that kind of gaming didn't just end when polygons were invented. Yeah, Yeah, there was one design flaw, though, and that it wasn't backlit. That made it really difficult. I mean, you could get the little snake lights, but... The SP was backlit. That's the one I think most everyone had that I was aware of. But um, it also had the best ports, I think. Like, Game yeah. Boy Advance had some amazing ports. Like, Yoshi's Island um, for the Game Boy feels, like, perfect. Like, the control, I feel like it feels better on the Game Boy Advance than it would on an SNES, almost. Just because I can't imagine it feeling any better than the way, the precision it has on the Game Boy. Well, the GBA also had a series of classic games from the NES, the original Legend of Zelda, the original Metroid, the original Castlevania. And it it was also great because it, I think it successfully bridged the gap between modern gamers who were getting their, you know, Pokemon fix, and this is like the first video game I ever played, and then the old school gamers who were saying, you know, I really don't like all of, you know, this funky N64 controller, and I don't want to have to go out and buy a PlayStation, all this other stuff. And, well, hey... I can still play the original Zelda, which I, you know, lost my copy of years ago when I sold my NES. Um, but now I can play this again on a, a new modern system and maybe pick up a couple other games. So I, I think they were very successful um, in in catering to all sorts of gamers with the Game Boy Advance. It's funny because my the Game Boy was the Advance SP was the first system that I ever had, and the first three games I got for it were either ports or remakes of old popular games. That I, and I didn't know that at the time, because I didn't know anything, because I was seven. But um, the first game I got was Super Mario Bros. 3, 
which it was the all-star version. But it was, you know, just that. And I played until I got to the sun, which I which is like somewhere in World Two. Then I assumed the sun was a final boss, and that I wouldn't, I didn't want to play the game any further because I got super frustrated with the sun, so I stopped playing World <laughs> Three for like years, and I, I didn't come back to it and beat it for years. When I learned that there were eight worlds and not just two, <laughs> but then after that I got Yoshi's Island, which is my favorite game to date. It's amazing, and then I also got Fire Red, which is the remake of one red and blue so it was interesting though because those were not those were all like old game they were i mean not old but they like were based off of they were supposed to appeal to you know the retro crowd air quotes (laughs) and one of the i was gonna say one of the neatest things that they did with the game boy advance was actually i'm saying like playstation and n64 i have my my timing out of whack it was the turn of the century um (laughs) so gamecube and ps2 and i think the original xbox somewhere around there um were at the time and so the game boy advance has a link cable that sold separately that you can hook up to your GameCube to do some really cool stuff. So Metroid Prime, for example, if you have a copy of Metroid Fusion, you link the two of them, and you... I'm trying to remember which direction this is and and what specifically it it, uh, unlocks. But you can play the original Metroid if you link Fusion and... I believe it's if you link Fusion and uh, Prime. And then you can also play as Samus in the Fusion suit from Metroid Fusion in Metroid Prime, which I did once, and it's pretty cool. It's it's really neat in 3D, actually. I didn't like the uh, the look of the suit too much on the Game Boy Advance, so that's neat. And then you've got things like uh, Zelda Four Swords Adventures, which I also played through with a couple of friends uh, many, many summers ago now at this point, uh, which was very enjoyable. You've got the Game Boy Advance hooked up to your screen, and so the four of you are... Link splits off into four different colors, and it's the four of you running around solving puzzles, fighting bad guys together. But when one of you decides to run off and go into a cave, the action transfers to your little game boy screen so that you can run around inside the cave while everybody else is waking up the guards by throwing pots at the wall so cool. it's yeah it, it really works pretty well very cool huh i'm gonna try i wish they'd do that again i'd like to play some more multiplayer zelda i think that so like the 3ds like part of the ambassador program which is what uh-huh. you got if you bought like the 3ds around the launch um they they gave out a free Four Swords Adventures for the 3DS, and I believe that it's supposed to be able to like connect with others sort of in a similar way, except they wouldn't go onto like a big TV screen. You just each have your own little screen. But I've never run into someone who has been a part of the Ambassador program to play it with, and I refuse to play it alone because that defeats the entire purpose <laughs> of the game. So is that yeah, also? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, well, I was just going to say another obscure thing while we're on the subject of Game Boy Advance SP, the wireless adapter. Did anyone ever hear about that? Wireless adapter? Which which wireless adapter? Like For the for the Game Boy Advance SP was the one I had. Is that for multiplayer gaming? Yes. It was like a link cable, except like, you know, that you would link two Game Boys together, but it yes. was wireless. So it was like how the DS worked normally. So you put you put on this little you put on this little thing. You got it with like fire red. I don't know. I think yeah, you got it with fire red, leaf green, or emerald. It came with it, and you if you you both had one, which my brother and I both did because we both got Pokemon. Um, it basically you know it was like how DSs work nowadays. Where you know you could wirelessly communicate. You didn't need to have the cable. 
plugged into both of them. Which, I mean, when you have a cable, it's kind of pointless because you're always going to be in the vicinity of someone who has one. <laughs> yeah. The only way you're going to find someone else with a wireless adapter is if you coordinated this meeting. Yeah. And it only it didn't work much further than a cable. But, I mean, I thought it was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid. Because oh, all of well. a sudden you didn't need to wire up to your Game Boys together. You could, you know face other directions from each other and you didn't have to be right next to each other. Like you could be, uh, you know, in the car and like someone sitting in the front seat, someone sitting in the back seat or whatever. Right. That's cool. Right. And then the DS came out and it was basically just that automatically. <laughs> well, didn't the Game Boy Color have that like infrared port or something? Yeah, like but it, I really use that. And that's the thing that I was trying to remember while you guys were talking about this. And I think that I tried to do the infrared thing uh, with a friend to trade some Pokemon. Uh, and if I remember correctly, we tried it for like five or ten minutes and then we're like, just use the cable. <laughs> yeah, when they work, peripherals are some of the coolest things you can do with a video game system. I mean, there, there's all sorts of built-in stuff like, oh, look at the pretty graphics. Oh, look at the internet capability that it's got. But Throwing a peripheral on top of that, it, it feels special. It's unique. Like the microphone for the GameCube, I thought was the coolest thing because you have it for Karaoke Revolution uh, mm -hmm. if you're playing the, the GameCube version. And that's lots of fun. And then you pick up a second microphone if you can, and then you can sing duets, which is also cool. I haven't had the chance to try it yet, but I've been in wanting to. And then you plug in the dance pad that came with uh, Mario DDR, which I played briefly, <laughs> and... Then all of a sudden, you're, you're like singing and dancing, like doing DDR and Karaoke Revolution at the same time because of these cool peripherals you have. And then when you're all done with it, you pop in Mario Party 6 and Mario Party 7, and then you play the microphone. And then you're shouting, at a, you're shouting commands at a tank to, you know, launch um, – drop bombs and launch Goombas at people as they're trying to catch up with you and shoot you. Like really cool stuff. Um, but I, I love – when peripherals work right and when they're interesting, and it's not just some sort of gimmick, but it's like, this enhances the gameplay. Or you could be like me in a Mario Party and play the fruit game where you shout the fruit and the other people have to get <laughs> off of that fruit and it comes down, and you shout um, pineapple, and there are no pineapples. <laughs> there are apples, but there are no pineapples. Which then essentially devolved into just us shouting random things into the microphone and figuring out and letting the game figure out which fruit that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, was it? I just recently, I don't think it's on the site yet, but I edited the article for Laser Invasion for the NES, uh, which had its own peripheral. Uh, it was basically the zapper, but it was like a laser-controlled like helmet thing, I guess. And you basically would like look... Instead of pointing the gun, you would like look where you wanted it to shoot, and you're supposed to go fire, and it would shoot. But according to Mark Friedman, the one who wrote the thing, uh, he says that basically, if you just made any noise, or if someone in the background made noise, <laughs> it would fire. So, well, it's a cool idea. We'll yeah. get to there eventually. And that was always the fun part about the microphone games in Mario Party was you hold down the button while you're speaking, and then you let go when you're done speaking. But if you're about to put in that command, like, you're, you're, you know, here's five cards, and we shuffle them around, and they've got pictures of fruit. Which fruit is on this card? And you're about to say orange, 
and then everybody else, as you're holding down the microphone button, starts shouting banana and pineapple and monkey and all sorts of things. And then the game gets confused, and it's like, did you say cheesecake? No! <laughs> so it's fun to mess with people like that, too, when it's in a competitive situation. <laughs> Actually, uh, was it an advertisement for the Xbox One? I can't remember. It was like a, a number of months ago, but it was like a dude was playing a Madden game... And then, like, somebody comes up behind him and is like, whoa, snap, LOL, and, like, the guy snaps the ball and, like, messed up his game. That was an advertisement? It was an advertisement. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, you're advertising something that is the worst design decision ever. <laughs> like, ad- that sounds like a Microsoft campaign. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I don't know, it was just like, oh, uh, you, you're showing people why not to buy this, you guys. I mean, that's no. an unavoidable design flaw, I feel like. I don't think you couldn't, you couldn't set it up anyway. I mean, you could turn off those settings, but if you were going to play with those settings, I don't think there's really a way, unless you get all the way down to the nitty-gritty of specific voice recognition, Yeah. but I just you don't need to bring that up. That's, not, that's certainly not a plus. You don't need people to be aware of that if you're going to sell your product. Yeah, and uh, actually, there was a thing that I also thought of during the uh, Xbox One reveal. Was again, the guy was, uh, you know, Xbox, turn on, Xbox, games, or whatever. I was like, I want to make a game that's released cross-platform, and at some point during the game, you have to say, Xbox off. (laughs) 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 So, in order to beat the game, (laughs) you're required... (laughs) Uh, They've actually done that. Uh, there's, uh, I think we, Matt Jonas, I want to say, reviewed a game for the DS on GameCola that had something really clever like that that was built in as one of the puzzles. And I believe, um, w- not Wind Waker, Phantom Hourglass, Zelda Phantom Hourglass for the DS, had a couple of funny things. And, and um, Spirit Tracks does as well. But where you're talking into the microphone and doing really clever things. Like, I I specifically remember some puzzle in some game at some point where I needed to... It was like, make two triangles meet or something like that. So there was the one that I I drew on the the touch screen, and there was the one that was pictured in front of me, and to make the meet, you close the lid of the DS. And then you open it back up, and it's, you solve the puzzle! So (laughs) some really cool stuff like that that you can do. Oh, I think we've talked a couple of times on the podcast about... uh... There was an X-Men game for one of the Sega systems that it told you in the game, within the story of the game, you're dealing with a computer, and it's like you have to turn off the computer or like restart the computer, <laughs> and you were supposed to restart the actual literal Sega system. And, you know, of course, hilarity ensued when like more than 50% of the time you'd actually literally restarted it instead of doing the like soft restart. Oh, no. So like sometimes it was like, whoa, that was cool, and other times it's like, did it really just <laughs> do that to me? I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, cool things are cool when they work, and when they don't, you shouldn't bother. <laughs> yeah. If you can't get it to work, then it's not a cool thing. It's just obnoxious. I'm trying to think of a peripheral that I used that didn't work, like, as intended. Or it just was... Um, I'm trying to think. There wasn't any that didn't work so much as I never used. Like, there was one <laughs> gamepad DDR thing that we got for, like, this... Um, it was, like, supposed to be this outdoor... I don't know. It was called, like, Outdoor Adventure or whatever. It was 
one of you know a parent scheme to try to get my brother and I to exercise more. <laughs> um, and it had this pad that you like set up, and I think it was actually for the Wii, but you were supposed to use the Game Boy, the GameCube uh, ports for the thing. And you plugged it in, and like you know, you, you it was like a DDR pad, so you like tapped left, and the minecart went left, and you tapped right, and the minecart went left. And I mean, it worked. And I think instead we ended up using our hands instead of our feet because it was easier. <laughs> <laughs> because you could look, you could like look where your hands were a lot easier than your feet. Because whenever we used our feet, we would always get off when we were going really, like doing a lot of stuff. Oh, so yeah. we just used our hands instead. But I mean, it worked, but it just wasn't. The game wasn't that fun. <laughs> well, saying the same thing about the uh, Nintendo Power Pad, any game that required you to like jump to actually like jump over something, I would just step off the pad. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> a smart way to do it. <laughs> and like, well, I mean, granted that I'm also like six, and it, they seem to have it like you know calibrated for like. Olympic, player. yeah, like Olympic gold medal winners, but I don't know. There were a few games. Was it Street Cop or something that like required? And it was the worst thing because it made you use not only the like you had to walk in order to make Street Cop walk, but you also had to like step on other pads to like like throw a can or something. I don't know. It was just the worst game ever. Uh, I don't know. It was. I had some fun with some of the games. There was the, oh, what was it? Something super camp thing? I don't know. It was like a multi-game, two-player, like, race game that involved the power pad. But, oh, that that was the other thing I was going to say, is that uh, it was slippery. So, like, on carpet, as you're running, it's just, like, slowly getting out from under your feet. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with this pad too. That's why we used our. That's another reason we used our hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of those exploits you can't get away with anymore, especially for the big consoles. You know, with like Connect and stuff, it watches you, and then oh, yeah. I'm sure they'll figure out a way to rat you out and be like, "No, nope, better jump higher." You can read your pulse apparently, which I still don't yeah. buy. Someone's got to have to prove that to me because I don't buy that. According to yeah, them. Yeah, they can't differentiate between like pineapple and apple when you're talking to it, but it can tell your heartbeat. <laughs> like, like it says that it can like read the minute details of your skin changing color when your blood pulses. I don't. I just I'm like you and you see like the pictures from the camera because like, you know sometimes it'll show you like this is what our the connect sees. Yeah. And like it'll point, and then it'll put little graphics, like saying, "Oh, look, this is where the connect says your hand is," and stuff like that. And the picture quality—I mean, it's not bad, but it does not look good enough to be able to tell better than my eyes, because I'm looking at my hand right now. It's not changing color when my blood is pulsing. I feel like—I mean, maybe uh, if it's looking in like infrared or something, then it maybe. could like sense that, but. I don't think, like, literally my, my skin tone, especially when you start getting into, like, people with different skin tones, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've heard all sorts of conspiracy theories about how, like, the Xbox One requires you to have the Kinect on all the time so that, like, if you're watching TV, it can, like, track who's watching and whether they're smiling at an advertisement and stuff. I've seen... I saw one thing where it was, like the Xbox registering, like, people in the room, like, counting people. 
Yeah. And it, it was just the cat. <laughs> it counted the cat as a person. Close enough. I guess back on the subject of peripherals, um, the Wii U gamepad is something. I guess we're just going to go as we're progressing through the years. So we're skipping a Wii, because all the Wii had for peripherals was pieces of plastic. Yeah, that was something that I noticed. We, My wife and I still have in the drawer a pair of lightsaber attachments for the Wiimote, <laughs> so that we but could play one of the one-and-a-half Star Wars games that they released, where you actually do lightsaber combat with the Wii. Uh, I guess it could work for Twilight Princess. But I, I just feel like that's uh, the Wiimote itself is already a disaster waiting to happen when you're waving it around there with or without the strap, let alone attaching some flimsy piece of plastic to the end of it. But, like, yeah, everything before we go to the Wii, I guess, like, I can't think of any, aside from the Nunchuck, which came out, like, immediately, and the Classic Controller, which admittedly was a nice thing to have for, you know, um, eShop virtual console stuff, the... Those were, like, the only two peripherals that I can think of that were, like, important at all. And I don't even count those as peripherals. Those are basic controllers in my mind. I mean, I think it's physically impossible for you to play some of the shop games, some of the virtual console games, without a classic controller. I seem to recall one or two games that I have saying, you need a classic controller to play this game. And they like, all... I think in Metroid Prime 3, I think you need to have the um, the nunchuck attached as well. I don't they all can play say it, without. it. They all say it, but I think the NES, you can use the Wiimote sideways. They all say that you need the classic controller, but anything beyond the NES, you do need it. Like, I don't think you need it for... You don't need it for... Um, NES games, because I remember playing through a bunch of Mega Man games and not using the classic controller. Well, I mean, you know, on the SNES, they had, like, more buttons, so I guess... Right. They... Yeah. Whereas the Wiimote sideways is essentially an NES controller. <laughs> like, funnily scarce. But, like, they didn't ever plug... Like, after they came out with the Nunchuck and the classic controller, they didn't ever come out with anything else to really plug into that, did they? Two words. Wee baby. What? <laughs> I thought that was that was just like a, the same thing as another piece of plastic, except it was a, like a stuffed baby. But it, like you didn't even need the baby; you could just have the Wemo, couldn't you? It was it was a nominee for best peripheral uh, a couple of years back on our year-end awards, and I don't think anybody actually voted on it except for me. <laughs> was it? <laughs> Do you have it, or you just know of its existence? I I know of its existence, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> Like, I, I think it's I think it's like you know a wee wheel or something where it's it's just something that you put your remote in. Oh yeah, you you, well you just said right the wee wheel if, if that's what yeah. it's called for Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. That's a peripheral. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like they're all pieces of plastic that you put on. Whereas like you know with a GameCube you had the the mic that you plugged in. And it, you know, you did microphone stuff. And the Wii didn't really have anything like that to my well, knowledge. Well, also, the Wii could still piggyback off of the GameCube. Any peripheral that worked for the GameCube, well, not any peripheral, but any of the ones that had any kind of uh, crossover capability for plugging into the controller slot could theoretically be moved over to the Wii, right? Right, but I don't the think Wii any games... GameCube games, so... I don't think any, the, any Wii games ever took advantage of that, though. True, but there there were enough other gimmicky things for the Wii to take advantage of. I, I think it would have imploded on itself if it had any more toys to play with. That's true. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like they came out with all that 
you know, they had that one little slot at the end, and they came out with the nunchuck, and a little while later they came out with the classic controller. And back then I thought, oh, they're going to keep, you know, doing oh. more things with this and see what came with it. And they just never did anything else except the Wii Motion Plus. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, which one game took advantage of? <laughs> oh, there were, there, were, there were games. You needed to play Skyward Sword. Skyward yeah. Sword, you needed it. Um, you needed it for a, I don't know if you needed it for all, but you needed a lot for Wii Sports Resort. Right. Okay. Two games, <laughs> which incidentally <laughs> are the only two games anyone's ever owned for the Wii. We people had Wii Sports. Okay, three one games. Of the best selling one of the best selling. But Wii Sports games of comes all time. with the console. That's not really a game that you actively go out and buy. <laughs> best selling game. On the Wii. That's true, that's true. <laughs> and the second but one no, is Wii, like... Wii Play, which everyone bought because it came with a controller. <laughs> Not because everyone <laughs> true. bought the game. Very true. Sorry, what were you saying? I don't know. Anything Zelda... Uh, Nintendo basically has become a Zelda machine for me. Like, I don't know. I play well, Donkey Kong. I don't really play Mega Man or Mario at all, so... Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it's always been for me. Uh, I got I used my parents Atari uh, and I got an NES when I was very young and I played those. But then after that, after I fell in love with Mega Man and after I fell in love with uh, it was actually um, Metroid 2 was my first exposure mm-hmm. to the Metroid series. I was on a road trip, borrowed somebody else's Game Boy in their game, and were like, hey, this is kind of fun. So I came back and found Super Metroid and then fell in love with uh, the whole Metroid series. So after those two games, every Nintendo console since that I have bought or requested be bought uh, for myself has been because of a Mega Man game or a Metroid game on it. So I, that, it's totally fine for Nintendo to be a Zelda machine now because <laughs> I understand. Super Nintendo was fantastic. There were so many publishers on there, so many really good games, and then N64 happened. <laughs> and it happened. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like It had some really good Zelda games. Like It had Ocarina of Time, and it had Majora's Mask. It had Donkey Kong 64. People liked the Mario game, but I can't think of anything else that was on there. Gold and it didn't really last that long. <laughs> That was sort of my experience, too. I mean, Super Nin- looking at my Super Nintendo collection, it's actually not all that big. I got all of the best games for the Super Nintendo, got spoiled, and then didn't really go after any of the other ones. Yeah. So I, I have, like, the best of the best, and then there's a bunch that I just haven't played. Whereas N64, I, every once in a while, I mean, I'll see at conventions and things, I'll see plenty of N64 games for sale, and I'll look them over, and I read reviews every once in a while. And there's just not really anything else that strikes my fancy. I've got like a dozen N64 games. It's Goldmine Perfect Dark. It's both Zeldas, uh, um, Donkey Kong 64, like you mentioned, uh, Mario Party 1, 2, 3, and then a couple of random things like Beetle Adventure Racing, uh, which I think is actually my sister, and I need to give back to her. Uh, but then I, oh, I got uh, Banjo-Kazooie, um, okay. which my brother-in-law uh, is a big fan of, so I haven't... I, the last time I tried to play that game, I broke my N64 connector cord. I don't know oh. what happened. Uh, I was just trying to plug in the game, and then all of a sudden the the audio was still there, but the video shorted out. So I unplugged some cables and fiddled with things and unplugged it and plugged it back in. It uh, didn't work. So I then plugged in another 
uh, audio video cable from I think it was the Super Nintendo or something. Um, that was because you can also hook up the Super Nintendo and the N64 with the same connector. And so I plugged that in. Um, and then at this point, I'd switched out from Banjo Kazooie to I don't know why I'm going into this long story, but uh, you're, you're stuck with it now. Uh, and so I, I switched out Banjo Kazooie for Mario Party 2, which I'm not that fond of. And I it just like played all of the levels and unlocked everything. And then I turn it on because I'm like turning on and off the game to try and get the video to come back. And I just see this message saying, Horrible error! All of your save data has been lost. Ah. <laughs> uh. So the uh, the moral of the story here is if your N64 ever stops displaying video but the audio is still there, uh, when you're switching out cables and testing it, uh, play a game that doesn't have a save feature. <laughs> All right. So I don't know. Well, how okay. We so that's the question. Like, Nintendo lost a lot of the big publishers. Is that because the PlayStation came out? I mean, is that where they migrated, or was it well, the Genesis? Well, Rare ex- uh, migrated Xbox, didn't they? I mean, that's... Yeah, what but that was after Nintendo 64. Yeah. Well, so but that I'm just... Yeah, like, that was the beginning of it. But no, just, Rare... I mean, Rare made some... I think it wasn't with the transition of the Nintendo 64. I think they made... Yeah, they made a couple GameCube games. They made uh, Star Fox Adventures. Okay. And that one was... Um, not that well received, if I recall. But I was going to say, um, I see I came onto the internet at a time where everyone was super nostalgic about the Nintendo 64. <laughs> it was, I, I think it was around the time I got my Wii, and it was, it was so that would have been around 2007. But, like, everyone, when I got on the internet, I thought that it was always the prevailing belief with everyone that the Nintendo 64 was the greatest console of all time. Well, I think uh, 2007, if I'm not mistaken, was around the time that that uh, Nintendo 64, ah, that thing, like mm-hmm. started getting around the internet. So that might right. be part of why was you just like hit it in that high spot. Yeah, no, no, that's what that's what I, I realized years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. Realized the Nintendo 64 is not that great because it had a lot but i do now because of that yeah i'm aware of all of the good slightly obscure but still pretty good nintendo 64 games like the one that comes to mind is kirby 64 mm. or kirby and the crystal shards hey. um pokemon snap <laughs> pokemon stadium <laughs> yeah those are some other ones that are good so there were a lot of good ones at the time problem is i guess the nintendo 64 just out of all the consoles just didn't hold up as well because of all their 3D polygon stuff, and that was there's nothing wrong with that, but that was just like what everyone was doing. Yeah, like it wasn't like like the Super Nintendo, which had like you know some 3D, but then also some this and some of that. Like everything, it felt like everything on the Nintendo 64 was trying to be Mario. Yeah, 64. well, that that is a good to question. Sorry, uh, I never owned. A Nintendo 64, so I don't really know, and I'm not incredibly familiar with the games, but I don't think I've ever seen a 2D Nintendo 64 game. Whereas uh, Mischief Makers. Mischief Makers. So, so there's one. Yeah, I can't think of any others. I can't think of anything that uses like sprites or anything. Everything uses yeah. polygons. Because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking of like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which was on, uh, you know, PlayStation, which was. I mean, it had some 3D in it, but it was largely 2D, and I don't think that was the only game like that. I mean, we were just talking about Rhapsody. I think that was completely 2D as well. 
Yes. Well, the thing the thing about Nintendo is that they love gimmicks. Anytime they come out with a new console, it's wow, what are we going to do with this? Everything so, needs motion controls. Well, no, no, <laughs> even before that. So the N64 is wow, we can go into three dimensions. This is great. Let's make everything in 3D. And then the GameCube came along. I like the GameCube a heck of a lot more because. 3D is kind of passe. You can use it if you want to, but you don't have to. There's all sorts of other stuff you can do. Have fun with the peripherals. And then the Wii comes along and says, oh, wow, motion controls. We can do anything with Everything had motion controls. Then the Wii U comes along, and so far it looks like you can use the motion controls if you want, but they're not integrated into every single part of the game experience. So they get really excited about all their new toys, and then they kind of ease off and say, okay, this is something that we can use as part of the game if we want to. Yeah. It worked the best with the DS, though, because, like, it was, you know, the dual screen and the touch screen, like, I mean, not every game uses the touch screen excessively, but it worked. It had a very, with the menus, like, it had a very easy thing that you could set it up to do. Like, it could just be extra space. You could do touch. You could have it so that you had, like, a little touch menu. There were lots of simple things you could do with it, whereas, like, with motion controls, it had to be a defining gameplay feature if you were going to include it because it was it was so I guess it was just so difficult to program that sort of thing well that if you were going to do it you might as well go all the way. So where do right. they go from here? I mean the Wii U the controller has well I mean it technically is a tablet essentially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean it's got yeah, the touch screen, tablet. it's got the microphone, it's got Which... the motion controls. I hear works well for like everyone except me. Like, and I don't mean like that in a in a design sort of thing. But like, mine doesn't like has a really hard time connecting to my Wii U. I have a feeling it's just me, and I've like asked around the house and stuff. And I think it's because our security system has this constant wireless interface like thing signal going out to check our windows and doors to make sure that things aren't open and stuff. We think that's interfering with the signal, hmm. so um, it doesn't. I have to be like right next to it, and even then, it doesn't always quite work. But for everyone else, it works you know amazingly. So I can't really fault it for that. But um, it seemed to work really well, and I think like with the Wii, everything was like party games because that was the easiest thing you could do motion controls with. And I feel like the Wii U might do that, but instead, the Wii U is actually is like the peripheral it's because the peripheral is good for motion controls from a conceptual standpoint instead of this is the it's like with the Wii the best thing you could make the motion controls do was a series of party games for the Wii U the best way to make party games is to use the tablet if that makes sense because all that the asymmetrical stuff like the Nintendo Land, which is essentially just you know a collection of little mini games, but it is so much fun. Nintendo Land is definitely is the best included with the system game I've ever played. It's just so much fun. The Metroid game, the Luigi's Mansion game, is the most you feel like an evil mastermind when you're the ghost <laughs> because you're like creeping up on these people and they don't know where you are and all they but they can like their controllers vibrate when you get close to them. But, like, that happens even, like, if you're getting close to them, but there's a wall in between you. So you can, like, freak them out when you're actually nowhere near them and not in any danger of being attacked by them. Because if they shine their flashlight on you, then you get caught. So you can get, like, really close to them and not be in any danger, but still freak them out. It's so much fun because, you know, you feel like you're in complete control of the situation, even though it's really well balanced. 
and you just feel amazingly sinister. It's just so much fun. <laughs> I feel like if we could get an entire game where you know it wasn't, it, they could flesh it out as a you know as a Mario Party type thing. It could be really fun. You know, I have to backtrack for a second. I'm looking at my backloggery now, where I've got my full list of N64 games handy right in front of me, and I, I made a couple of glaring omissions. Uh, N64 uh, is is also another like party game kind of system, multiplayer specifically. We talked about GoldenEye, um, but the sports games, the racing games specifically, and the Star Wars games, because you've got Mario Tennis, Mario Kart 64. In my mind, that's still the definitive Mario Kart. Uh, and then you've got um, Star Wars Episode One Racer, Shadows of the Empire, uh, the first Rogue Squadron game. So there's and and then of course Paper Mario for people who like Paper Mario, uh, <laughs> Star Fox 64. I don't know if we mentioned. Oh. And then uh, Cruise in USA, the the arcade game everybody loves. They uh, made a port of that. Really? As well, yeah. Uh, and then there's... I'm curious to try it. I haven't played it yet. Uh, the World is Not Enough, which is another James Bond game, which I'm sure is not going to be anything like Goldeneye. Uh, but it's been on my list for a while. I, I have it. Mm. So I'm curious to see what it's like with with no preconceived notions that it's going to be anything like uh, Goldeneye, which I think is what's ruined any James Bond game ever, <laughs> is that initial hurdle, regardless of how good or bad the game might be, that initial hurdle of, well... It's got to be like Goldeneye because it's got James Bond. Well, what makes it like Goldeneye other than being able to play four-player multiplayer where you like slap people and kill them in one hit? I, I think the key thing that, that makes Goldeneye specifically so endearing is that the multiplayer, specifically the multiplayer, is so easy to pick up. Yeah. And so easy to learn and so challenging to master, which, which is just good game design in general. Yeah. Um, but there's there's such a fun variety of weapons. Uh, you've got everything from the from the slappers to the tiny pistols to the golden gun yeah. to the the ridiculous club, uh, the RCP90 and the grenade line. I love the explosive. The, those are my favorite. But several different flavors of similar concepts of weapons, and then just good solid level layouts uh, that that lend themselves to to good skirmishes. Yeah, that's true. No, uh, they definitely had some creative stuff. The proximity mines, that was always a good one. Yes. Just like, learn that your friend is sitting inside like a air vent or something. Just place some proximity mines. There. No, no, no. Better yet, lay a proximity mine on an ammo box, run over the <laughs> ammo box, pick it up, and when it respawns, the mine is still there, but it doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, look, ammo box, boom! <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I definitely played some Goldeneye. Uh, in my day. I, I think that was pretty much the only game, because again, I played it at a friend's house who lived around the corner, and they weren't really video game people. Like, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I lent them uh, my copy of Final Fantasy 3, and like, a week later, I was like, hey, so how are you enjoying the game? And they're like, oh, it was pretty good. I, I've been uh, playing on your save, flying the ship around. <laughs> like they they literally did not touch the game they just loaded up my save and flew the airship around and it's a pretty good game apparently when you do that actually like, that's one of my favorite parts of the game is is flying the airship around and not actually playing the rest of it <laughs> but no uh the one thing that we did definitely play a lot of was goldeneye and uh i think i they tried playing uh one of those star wars games that you mentioned but they don't even know anything about star wars so they had no clue what they were doing. 
Isn't that like on an American citizenship test now? (laughs) I think an interesting thing about games is like replayability has, I don't know if it's always been, I feel like now it's something more that games strive to do. Uh, Like, cause if you buy, if you buy, I don't know. I don't know how it's different now than it was back, you know, in the days of the NES and stuff. Because when you had an NES or an SNES, you were kind of stuck to the one game. So if it was, re- it didn't really matter if it was replayable to a certain extent because you were stuck with it because yeah. it was your game. But now on the other side, you know, we live in you know where you can get one dollar, fifty-one dollar games on your phone for the same price as a big game on your console. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much replayability is a factor in any point. But I always found that people try to artificially come up with replayability through like, oh, you can go back and collect all these little things, and that makes the game more replayable. Or, you know, you could try to go for a better time. And I always found that even in games that include that, games that are the most replayable are the ones that you can just do things in, and it's just fun to, to be in and play without any other incentive. Hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. always thought that... Uh, I, I'm sorry, Kate, I cut you off. Um, no, it's okay. I've Darn right, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, I've, I've always thought that the best kind of replay value is extending the game logically, just doing more of the same thing you've been doing the rest of the game. Every once in a while, sure, throw in some sort of minigame or some sort of like awkward challenge that you wouldn't normally do yourself, but achievements i mean that's that's why i usually don't even bother with achievements because it's not a meaningful extension of the gameplay it's play mega man 9 three times in the same day like okay maybe <laughs> i'll do that if i really love it but why what yeah. what bragging rights does that really grant me beat the game without taking damage that's a different story but even that is so obscene it's like <laughs> You know, that that is a personal challenge in my mind mm-hmm. of I am so good at this game that I can even beat it without getting hit. Not, well, I'm not very good at this game because I can't get the achievement for not getting hit. I feel like in that situation it would be better if it was just something like you just got a reward for doing that rather than – like because like when you put it as an achievement, it's there's like sort of this assumption that you should be able to do this and you shouldn't stop playing this game until you've done this. This game isn't true with them. Whereas, like, you could say, like, you know, get a special, like, ending screen if you beat the game. Without... Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what replay value is to me. It's finding new things in the game if you replay it. It's unlocking bonus dungeons. It, uh, give me an alternate ending. Give me more story. Give me bonus material. Give, give me something additional to do with the gameplay. I mean, I look at Mega Man X Command Mission. I beat this year. I can't really say recently anymore because it's been several months. And that's a game that I think did a really good job with the replay value because you can simply go through the game and beat it. Or you can dabble around with some of the side stuff. They have uh, force metal recipes. So you grab different items, uh, some of which can only really be found by grinding um, 
and then you put them together and combine them and come up with new items which make the game even easier or more fun or you know introduce something different that's not just oh you found all of these items great you can check it off the list it's no you get something that changes the flow of the gameplay slightly some of the stuff it's like by the time you can get it you really don't need it anymore but you know the thought is still there and then you've got like the bonus dungeon where you've got uh, the Nine Tails clan, where you're fighting, I think it's nine bosses, each of which has, uh, it's like an, a kitsune kind of a creature, and each one has an extra tail th- than the last one did, mm-hmm. and they all get stronger and crazier, and it's like, you don't need to beat them to fight the game. In fact, it's harder than the final boss, but it's fun to see that additional challenge because there are different new bosses. And you get to unlock a couple things like, you know, you beat one of the bosses and then you go into the next room and you've got more artwork, uh, concept art that you can view in your Skyrim. And so you can collect those things. So no, there's really not a point. Like it doesn't expand the gameplay when you're collecting artwork and figurines of the different characters that you can view. But it's something new that adds to the game experience. It isn't just a checklist, which you could make on your own piece of paper and say, oh, I... I beat the game uh, 17 times in a day, backwards, not wearing my helmet, uh, with my eyes closed. It's like, you can do that on your own. Well, how much of that do you think like, current game designers are influenced by MMOs and the fact that, you know, they're constantly uploading new... You know? I mean, or even just like Facebook games where new content is expected so, even if it's not really supposed to have high replayability... How does a console game like fight that? You know? with that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah. Actually, uh, from a indie designer uh, standpoint, this is something I've seen with a few things where games that are existing indie games, they just release an update that actually has either more content or like another play mode uh, or like something else that like it's a DLC effectively for their indie game. I mean, it's free, like if you already bought the game, but it gives more people a reason to buy it and it gives the people who bought it, you know, a reason to come back and play it again or whatever. I guess the major difference when you're, you know, comparing an MMO to a console game is that with an MMO, they have to keep generating replayability or, you know, replayability. I don't know if you necessarily can say that's replayability and you depend on how you define it. The difference is is that... That um, that's a subscription-based thing. So, continuing to play the game is an is an important part of that game generating revenue. Whereas, you know, you take a console game; it doesn't matter, you know, if you play it for fifty hours or for five minutes. You know, as soon as you've bought it, you've bought it, and that money has gone to the people it's going to go to. True, but in a way, it does matter because if you know a publishing company or if you know a game franchise that's renowned for giving you a really good game experience like if if you don't really care about content necessarily you just want to get your money's worth out of this game and you know that this kind of game is going to give you hours and hours and hours of gameplay then you'll probably want to buy another one by the time you're done with it uh i mean that's that's not the only reason, but you look at, uh, and I think Kate can speak to this, uh, the Elder Scrolls games are massive. Yep. <laughs> They're huge, and you can just get yourself completely lost in them. So you have one game that, you know, maybe you got it on discount, cost you 20 bucks or something, and so you're playing one Elder Scrolls game, and then you're you're set for a year, and you love this thing, and you're playing it to death, and then you are so psyched when the next one comes out that you're willing to blow 60, 70 bucks on it. 
Or there's also, um, I don't know if any of you guys play Assassin's Creed, they've tried to expand the brand by going multi-platform, and that there will be challenges that you can uh, compete on with the computer, like go onto Facebook, or there's a website right now for their current game, where you go and you do tasks, and then uh, finishing those tasks will do something in the console game, and vice versa. So, like, trying to expand... or just expand your playing experience by going across platforms, which could be really well done. That, you see, that a... could, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to buy a game. I want to sit down and play it. I don't want to be constantly connected to the internet. I don't want to have to log in somewhere else. I don't want to have to sign up for a mailing list for me to you know, get all the updates. And stuff. I don't want to buy figurines in a store. I just want to sit down and play the game that I bought. <laughs> Leave it alone. <laughs> Because, like, so, like, console, like, the, the argument that I always had when I was, a, you know, when you say, oh, console versus PC, oh, PC is so much better. Um, the argument I always had is that PC might be better, but it's more complicated, and there's more stuff that I have to do to get it to work, and there's more things that can go wrong, and I'd rather have a less good experience that I know I can get to work every time rather than a more powerful but yet less reliable experience that I'm going to have to go on the internet and look up the answer to my obscure technical problem. But as time goes on, consoles and consoles are getting more complex and stuff like that, and it's I'm getting to the point where it's like this isn't any more difficult than just using my computer. I might as well use my computer, which I've you know used for several years now and kind of know how it works, rather than this new console that, you know, requires a day one software update just to work. <laughs> All this wacky internet stuff that I have to get set up now is a major part of playing this game. Well, do you think that the console producers are trying to get us all to the point where we're just buying essentially what are gaming computers, but with their fancy load? <laughs> with, a, with a Wiimote to control it, you know, check my email, yeah. like swipe the Wiimote. Check my email. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Have cover. Mario read out your email. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just thinking of any of the times that trying to input text on the Xbox using the controller. Oh. Well, that's why you get the peripheral keyboard, you know? Yeah. I'm not Hooray spending any, any more money on that thing. <laughs> to go back yeah. to replayability, though, there's like this one type of replayability. I don't know how you would define this. And I think it might be something, because I don't know if I've ever really experienced it since I was a little kid, but in Super Mario Sunshine, I would just play the game, and to maybe it was to your point, Jetty, of just, you know, them playing Final Fantasy III and just flying the airship around. <laughs> but, like, I played the game, and I got, like, mostly through, I beat the, you know, I beat the main game, but, like, it got to the point where I was just tired of going to try to collect all the Shine sprites. But what I would do is I would just go to each of the levels, find the highest point in each of those levels, and then just jump off of it <laughs> to the lowest point that like wasn't a death pit. And that was just entertaining for me. Yeah. I don't I don't know if you can really quantify it. That's something that you could really is that something that you're just a kid and you don't have priorities, you don't think you spend you just spend time with the game even though you have other games to play. Because the same thing happened with Pokemon, and this isn't this isn't Pokemon because Pokemon Red and Blue, they were very focused on 
the whole gotta catch them all sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas after that game, the, the gotta catch them all kind of fell away. the wayside. It was like, instead of being the main focus of the game, it was just like, oh, you know, you can do that if you want. You know, that's an option. That's a goal. Beating the, you know, Elite Four is a goal. And then as the games went on, more little goals came up from that. Like in um, the third generation, there was like this whole contest system that you could try to win. And then like, you know, breeding became, a, Pokemon breeding became a thing. And you know, raising the perfect team became another goal. And as time went on, it was like, there just became all these different ways to play the game. And when you were done, not there wasn't any like part of the game that said, oh, you know, you get this if you breed the perfect team or you get a whole bunch of stuff. If but it, There was no one telling you after like the initial time you're introduced to it, oh, go do the contests and be the best at the contests. Um, there was, but it was there and part of the game. So it wasn't shoved down your throat, yeah. but it was definitely there when to beat the game, there was still just stuff to do. That is kind of interesting to consider after, uh, like Nathaniel was talking about Mega Man with its uh, challenges or whatever they call them, to look at basically the same thing, but instead of being like, hey, here it is spelled out for you, go do it, it's just like, yeah, it's here if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you could, you could, it would tell you about it, it would say, like, oh, hey, here's the contest thing, and it might make you, like, they might suggest that you do, like, the tutorial thing if you wanted to, and you could skip the tutorial thing, like, you know, if you were replaying the game or something. But, like, you could, after that, you could just leave and not come back until you've already beaten the game. And it was, like, a completely different thing. Like, the moves had, like, these different categories. So, like, you know, you could essentially train a Pokemon to be a contest Pokemon, which wouldn't necessarily make a good battle. Because, like, yeah. suddenly the only thing that matters is moves and typing, type advantages and um, level don't matter anymore. Because hmm. that was separate from that system. I just think it was interesting. That was an interesting way to go about it. Because, like, you know, if it's not your thing, you don't have to do it. Yeah. And there's no there's no punishment. The game doesn't say, you know, if you, like at the end credits, you know, if you had played more contests, you would have gotten the better ending. Yeah. But. I don't know. It's just like that's the kind of replayability that's. I don't even know if it's. Is it really replayability? Because like you're still playing the game. Yeah. Like you're not restarting anything. You're just. It's just another part of the game that you're doing. Continued gameplay as opposed yeah. to new gameplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably depends on the type of player you are too. I mean, I know some people only play for a hundred percent completion. And for achievements and things, me, I'd rather play for the story or, um, you know, in like the case of Chrono Trigger where there are 10 different endings that you can get. Yeah. That's a lot of replayability. Um, or there's well, and, Skyrim. <laughs> so. Yeah. Chrono Trigger is a great example because all of the optional material builds on the story at the same time building on the gameplay. Um, yes. Because you've, you've got... Um, an extra character that you can add to your arsenal, who, whether or not you have him in your party, changes the ending slightly. Yeah. Um, you've got the mini games at the fair. You can amass an army of cats at your yes. house, which is totally there's there's no need for it, but it's fun. Um, and it and again it it adds to the ending a little bit depending on which ending you get. Uh, and then going back and replaying, it's like okay, I am 
exercising the New Game Plus feature to be strong enough at any point before the end of the game to be able to take on the final boss. So that also switches up the game experience, too, because these other guys who were kicking your butts before um, are now pushovers, and you're using all of these crazy fancy weapons. Like, when I replay Chrono Trigger, and it's been several years, um, what I do is I try and amass as many weapons as many items, equipment as possible. I'm trying to stock up and get all of them on my one save game up to 99 all across the board. There's no achievement for this. There's no purpose for it whatsoever. <laughs> it's just a fun challenge. And of course, there's ones where you can only get one of them per game. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to be picking up 70 rainbow swords in a single playthrough. So some of them just probably not going to happen before the game's battery burns out. But <laughs> it's still fun to see, you know, really how many load swords can I accumulate um and it's just little fun things like that and then you've got uh, the additional replay value of multiple party members who in addition to having different abilities and you can switch them out over the course of the game say different things they give you different story like when you first show up into what is it 65 million bc and you meet isla and you meet all the dinosaurs depending on which characters you have in your party when she shows up like if you have robo the robot she's like what are you big metal tin can or actually she wouldn't even know tin can she's like what are you and he's like i'm a a robot and she says raw boot what this rubbish and you know you you get this fun little exchange whereas if you don't have them in the party if you have the frog then there's different dialogue there so it's you've got different gameplay and different story and it really works to replay the game because there's so many little things still to discover, um, in addition to whatever fun you might have, um, you know, blasting everything with your highest level crazy spells um, at levels where you normally wouldn't have even heard of these abilities. So that's, so wait, just, that's a good game for replay value. Just to clarify, when you when you beat Chrono Trigger, you keep your it's one of those games where it sends you back to the beginning, but you keep all of your levels, right? If you if you yes. do a new game plus, yes, yes you have okay. that ability. And actually, I'm at the point. One of the things I love doing is. Um, I've replayed the game so many times and gotten Chrono so strong that I can walk into the game, I can wave to the princess and walk straight into the teleporter alone with Chrono <laughs> and take down Lava. <laughs> yeah. That's fabulous. Well, because uh, when you do the new game plus, isn't it that you can like go to Lavos basically whenever you feel like it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's the the teleporter at the Millennial Fair act now has this little sparkle, which will instantly take you to the final boss. So oh. you can do that at any time. In addition to the normal methods that the game offers you later on, yeah. where you can fly your time machine back to fight him, but mm-hmm. probably you're not strong enough to do that uh, during the first playthrough. Yeah. But yeah, you can get different endings depending on where you are within the story. So right. like, you stop before a major boss battle. Um, the game will end with one of the characters going off to fight the evil mage, and you get to see that cutscene, whereas you would have actually played through it had you continued. Mm. So, it's a fantastic game. I highly recommend it to any and everyone. <laughs> I got to like the part where the flying fortress came up, and all of a sudden, like I was doing really well, like level wise and everything. And I got to the flying fortress, and that boss came up, and all of a sudden, like I was just getting wiped out in two turns. Mm. I don't I thought, know what happened. <laughs> I thought you weren't actually supposed to do it as soon as it came up. I thought there was like other stuff you were supposed to do. I don't remember. Wait, which 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 flying fortress are we talking about? Are we talking about the Black Omen? I'm like talking the, about. Really been, are we talking about Dalton's, uh, It's the one. Oh. It's the one where it like follows you throughout time. Like if you use your time machine, it's still yeah. there. 
Yeah, yeah that's the Black Omen, and that is supposed to be, like, super-powered challenging. Okay. Um, so that's, I got there, and I felt point. like I had done something wrong, and then I stopped <laughs> playing the game, and I never, I never picked it up again. Just, not because I got frustrated with it, but just because I never, like, you know, got back around to it, and I went on to other things. Yeah. I really enjoyed the game up to that point, and then I got to that point, I was just like, they do something well, and that, wrong, yeah, and, like, because, I tried to go to other places, and I kept being under-leveled, it seemed. Yeah, well, the Black Omen is, like, the last thing you do in Chrono Trigger before the final boss. Like, you want to make sure that you've gone to every other time period and done all of the other side quests before you even set foot in there. Okay. Well, one of the nice things, that. if you have it for DS, they just re-released it a couple years ago, um, they added new features with dungeons and things where it's a really good place to grind if you don't feel like playing it through, you know, 99 times to get your 99 levels. Um so if you have a DS, that might be a good way to pick it up. Interesting. What what I did with Chrono Trigger that worked really well, the beginning of the game, I go into Guardia Forest, and I grind to get to level 3 or 4, maybe 5, and you do not need to grind for the entire rest of the game. Chrono alone is strong enough to handle anything else that the rest of the party might not be so good with. So mm-hmm. just level up, you know, spend 20 minutes, half an hour at the very beginning of the game, you have the entire rest of the game to just enjoy the story as it comes at you without slowing down to grind. Hmm. And it's totally worth the ride. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic story. So yay, Chrono Trigger. I don't remember the last yeah. time I heard about that. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> All right, so what off. are your feelings about Chrono Cross? I own it. I played years and years ago, I think when it first came out, I only just mm-hmm. acquired a PlayStation 2. Um, okay. and, and was a Nintendo-only guy prior to that. Um, so this is my first opportunity to actually play something of that length. But I played 15 minutes of it at a friend's house around the time when it first came out. And sort of like we were saying about GoldenEye earlier, how every other James Bond game fails because it's <laughs> Um I played 15 minutes and said, this isn't Chrono Trigger. This in no way, shape, or form resembles anything I know about Chrono Trigger. I don't like it. And that was one of the reasons probably why I never bothered to go after a PS2, despite there being, or a PS1 or whatever the heck system it's for, um, despite there being, like, various Mega Man games on those systems as well. Like, I think that might have tipped it enough for me to say, oh, I want to get this, I want to play this, because it just, it, it, it didn't even resemble I'm like, you can't use the word Chrono in the title uh, and have it have nothing to do with Chrono. I was angry at the anime Chrono Crusade because it had nothing to do with Chrono Trigger. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I I guess Chrono is just off limits in the title if it's not Chrono Trigger. I don't know if anyone remembers this because it was just like this weird little thing that never ended up going anywhere. But Sonic Chronicles, the Dark Brotherhood, which was, uh, I believe, given the name Sonic Chronicles, it was supposed to be a first in a series was this Sonic the Hedgehog RPG. I, it was interesting. I know of its existence, but it would be better if we had uh, Stu Jip or Matt Jonas on the podcast. I played, I mean, I played through it, and one of these days I should probably play through it again and review it. But aside from all the other stuff, which I could talk about, but the main thing is, like, it did the thing where, like, once you beat the game, you went back to the beginning of the game, and you kept all of your levels and stuff. But, like, that didn't work for that game because, like, I don't know, I guess in Chrono Trigger there are lots of battles that you can just skip, whereas this game had a lot of battles that were mandatory at the beginning, but they were just so tedious because you just overpowered everything, and it was just all, it felt like wasted time trying to get back to a point where you didn't kill everything in one hit. 
and I don't know. Is that was the does that ever feel did I ever feel like a did I ever make the game feel tedious if you went back in New Game Plus and played through everything on such a higher level? Well, one of the things going back to Chrono Trigger, because this is the only game that I really have any extensive experience New Game Plusing, is You've got a wide range of equipment, so what I would do after a while, and I got tired of whacking every single boss in one to two hits, uh, I would actually equip whatever equipment I was supposed to have at that point in the game, so I wasn't completely overpowered. Uh, and I, I even got to the point where I started sort of delaying, like, I'm just going to equip a mop, and I'm going <laughs> to whack things with a mop for a while, because that does, like, no damage, and that restores some of the challenge. So... I, there's, I think there's something to be said, whether or not you're doing a new game plus, of implementing your own challenge in games. I mean, that's one of the things that keeps Mega Man so fresh for me, is that I will challenge myself to play through an entire stage using only one of the special weapons. I will challenge myself to fight the bosses only with the buster. You know, there are various things that you can do that are not mandatory. You don't get an achievement for them. There's no real reason to do them, but they continue to add to the replay value because there's still a fun challenge for you and there's something else you can do in the game world if you want to keep playing the game but you don't want it to be the exact same experience it's been every time before you see another like sort of like that is also pokemon you can do that and i guess it, that's another you know what replayability type thing is the game that facilitates you know making your own challenges which i don't know how you would again i don't know how you would plan for that but, um, like, Pokemon, you can do, like, the big thing is the Nuzlocke, where you catch the first Pokemon that you see in a route, and if you make it faint, then you don't get to catch it, and you don't get to catch anything else. And if your Pokemon faints, then it dies, and you can never use it again. Oh, that's harsh, but I love it. And so, like, and there are tons of people who do this, and people will, like, make comics, like, sort of making a story based off of them going through the game, these rules, so like, you know, their Pokemon will die when they die, quote, died, um, in the game, and, but it's, a, it's an interesting way to challenge yourself, and, it, you know, in certain respects, like, you know, you have to do a lot of grinding to make this work, because the game is designed around, you should, your Pokemon should faint at some point, so you have to spend a lot of time grinding, but, like, it works, because, like, if it was something that the game gave you itself, then I don't feel like it wouldn't work because then it would just be like, oh, well, the only way to do this is to, you know, you have to grind. Why would, why would you make, why would you make a game mode like that? Mm -hmm. But since it's like player created, yeah. it like those flaws are now a cha personal challenge in certain respects. Well, sort of along those lines, I just, I don't remember, I must have linked to something that was linked to on GameCola or something like that, um, but I found a blog called Alice and Kev, um, which looks at The Sims 3, and it does sort of an experiment with an, another open-ended game where normally, you know, you build a nice house and you have your Sims running around, having careers, making babies, making friends, making cakes, and whatever other things that you can make in, in life, and you know, have a nice little home building simulator. What this person chose to do was they put a very, like, the most unpleasant sim human being that you can possibly imagine to be around uh, and have him have a daughter. And they're homeless people living in a park. Oh. Like, they, instead of building a home and they live inside it, it's they structured the plot of land to look like it, or to uh, function as a public park. And these two sims just live in the park without a true home. And then 
sort of sponge off their neighbors, and it's just really interesting to see how the Sims, who have their own AI, uh, you can control them to a certain extent, but you can just let them run wild. And to see what these homeless Sims go off and do uh, when you just let them loose in this playground, which is not the way the game was necessarily intended to be played, but it's still possible. It's an option because it's open-ended enough. It's just, here is your game world. Here are the tools that you have. Have fun with it. Hmm. So it's been really interesting and sort of sad sometimes. It's sort of funny, uh, depending on the situation, but it's been a really interesting read so far. Hmm. Yeah, I, I read the whole thing. It's pretty cool. And I tried doing that once with my Sims, but I'm too much of a control freak to let them go <laughs> that wild. Uh, no. But uh, but no, I, I think this has been a pretty good podcast. Uh, I would like to thank everyone for being here. Nathaniel, Kate, Joe, Anna. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Yep. You're welcome. I Thanks for having us. Thing. Yeah, yeah it was fun. Yeah. If the listeners aren't listening on our actual internet website, we do have an actual internet website. Please go to gamecola.net uh, if you enjoyed this podcast. And you could, if you're not listening to this on YouTube, you can go to our YouTube channel, gc.net. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter or Game Cola. Uh, find us on Facebook. We're also on Tumblr now, Game Cola, uh, gamecola.tumblr.com. Tumblr's uh, cool. Yeah, I like it. We're also on iTunes. If you want the latest podcast update, you can go on iTunes. You can review us, review us highly, give us a five, please. If you're not going to give us a five, then we're not on iTunes. Get out! (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. So thank you again, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everyone being here. Welcome. Good night. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. And everyone died. Thank you, Joe. <laughs>